0: or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Good morning. Good morning. Like Pastor David said, my name is Nathan. It's always an honor to get to share the word um, every opportunity I get. And I just want to echo one thing that he spoke, was speaking about in regard to Bold Conference. And I, w- I remember as a young youth pastor attending... A conference that he was leading and looking and leaning over to Rachel who was my girlfriend at the time and just saying that is what my life is missing like that vibrant passion zeal for Jesus is what I was missing in my life and I literally spent the next 10 years pursuing that relationship because I wanted that spiritual deposit not only in me, but in the young people that I had the opportunity to serve. And I want to encourage you that the ripple effect, the, the return on investment in serving at Bold Conference as a part of the Dream Team will go so far beyond just what happens at the conference It will go into young people who become youth pastors, who become educators, who become civil servants, who become doctors and attorneys for decades to come that shape culture and shape people. And I just want to encourage you, there is no better return on your time investment than something that will ripple through eternity because you've impacted a young person's life. So I just want to second that encouragement. Be a part of the dream team. Let's serve at Bull Conference and let's make a difference in young people this year. Amen? Amen. Sorry, that was bonus. That had nothing to do with anything. I just wanted to encourage you in that. Um, Like Pastor David said, we've been in a series called Built Different. Really, it's been founded and kind of built around Psalm 127 verse 1, and it says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into today's topic. So Jesus, we love you. We pray that your word that is alive, that is living, God, would do a deep work in our hearts today, that you would transform us, that the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives would transform us, that we would take a step in our faith today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, in Matthew 22, we see this. Jesus is having one of his many dialogues with Pharisees and attorneys in his ministry journey. And we see this in Matthew 22, verse 37. It says this, Jesus replied to their their question. He says, to what was the greatest commandment? And this is his reply. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love, the na- love your neighbor as yourself, for all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I want you to think about this, the, the largeness of the scope of what Jesus just said. He said the entirety of the Old Testament, the entire sacrificial system, the law, hundreds of laws and, and traditions passed down for generations, and Jesus is saying all of it hangs on these two lines. of it every story that you've read from the old testament every bible story you you grew up learning about in your kids classes or from your parents all of it hangs is built and founded on these two concepts to love the lord your god with all of your heart with all of your soul and with all of your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself And one of the most interesting pieces of this verse is the fact that Jesus says that the second part, the second line is like the first. Jesus is tying love of neighbor to love of God. You see, Christianity is built upon this understanding of us entering into a relationship with Jesus through his sacrifice on the cross, being raised to life again. Christians entering into that relationship and then how we express the life change that has happened because of that relationship to the world around us. So our, having relational intelligence, having healthy friendships, having a love for other people is of paramount importance. Here's, here's, there's four levels of relationship closeness that I have. I believe this is so important. So I have four levels of my personal life. Here's how I work my friendships. Are you guys ready? This will hopefully help all of you. Um, I'm kidding. This is a little tongue-in-cheek, but here we go. There are four levels of my friendship. Number one, we can hang out. I'll, I'll get coffee with you, I'll have a meal with you, we can hang out, we can get to know one another. It's that type of you know casual conversation vibe. Number two, here's level two, so you're moving up in the world. We could travel together. Now there's a big leap from group one to group two. Like if I'm willing to travel with you, that's that's a big leap. Thankfully, my children have reached this level. Number three is I would take a bullet for you. Again, it's a a healthy size leap, right? It's okay, hey, we're ride or die, like we're in this for life, we're tight. We have close friendship. And here's the apex of relational closeness in the Dorinsky household. Number four is I will speak to you on the phone. You you will get no higher of a friendship with me. If you call and I answer, you have reached the apex. I'm sorry to all of you that I have not answered the phone. Um, I've let it go to voicemail. I did not listen to your voicemail. I read the transcript, and then I probably texted you in response. I'm sorry. I'm just telling you this is how the Dorinskys do our lives. Um, Number four, I will speak to you on the phone. That's deep friendship for me. Deep. There's no higher friendship than that. But when you think about your friendships and how we develop our, our relationships, we just kind of have grown up falling into friendships, right? It's proximity, it's convenience, it's who was in my class, who was on my sports team. One of my best friends growing up, his name was Dan Eckel. You know why he was my friend? Because my last name is Dorinsky, and he sat one seat behind me in first grade. So we were friends all the way through elementary school, junior high and high school. It had nothing to do with we had common interests. It had everything to do, the teacher put us in alphabetical order. But we pick up that habit as young people and we transfer it into Adulthood. So now we're friends with our coworkers. We're friends with our neighbors. We're friends with, you know, it's like even on Zoom, it's like the Brady Bunch syndrome. You're gonna be friends with the top right corner and then you're gonna have your little side chat going on so that, you know, the colleagues don't see your jokes. But we just, we fall into relationships with one another and it's, we're friends with our, the same people who our kids are now on sports teams and we just become friends with the other parents. And I think there's some value into loving people and I think there's a lot of value in to showing people the love of Christ. But what I'm talking about is kind of that next level of friendship to where it's no longer, I am a light into your world and I am intentionally reaching out to you because you are far from God and I'm hoping to share the gospel with you. These are the people that I'm talking about today that are in relationship with you. Because that habit that we develop as a young person, as a kid, It's a terrible assumption, in my opinion, to make that the way things that have always been done is the best way for us to move forward. See, the question is, are we building our relationships with intentionality? Most of us are building relationships, but are we doing it intentionally? You see, first and foremost, the the number one factor, and really this is where, like, if this isn't right, everything else will break down. First and foremost, your relationships will only be as strong as you are. See, everything's gonna hang on that because hurt people hurt people. So if you have an emotional wound, if you have an unhealthy tendency, if you have emotional baggage that you're bringing into a new relationship, eventually you're gonna mar that relationship and it's gonna begin to break down because you're unhealthy. Which is why as a church, we're committed to helping you find freedom. Freedom is not always these big, larger than life. I was addicted to drugs and now I'm not. That's important and that's great and that's beautiful. But freedom is anything that's holding me back from fully pursuing Christ. You could just have an anger problem. You could be bitter about an event that's happened in your past. You have a wound that you've never allowed to heal and God wants to set you free from that so that you can step forward into the destiny that he's called you in. When I'm emotionally unhealthy, I will typically, we will typically surround ourselves with people who are as unhealthy or are more unhealthy than we are so that we feel better. We wanna grade on a curve instead of saying this person's healthy and helping me or this person's not. And even in 2020, I mean, the pandemic has just ravaged our emotional and spiritual well-being, our mental health. It's, the Wall Street Journal, even this week, talked about how the pandemic has just devastated single people, their mental health and their emotional well-being. You've been isolating in apartments by yourselves. You're working remotely, so you have zero interaction with other people. And you're just left by yourself, devoid of community. And when you're devoid of community, your desperation level starts ratcheting up. And we begin making unhealthy decisions and unwise decisions that actually can have terrible consequences on the rest of our lives. Out of a desperation for community and closeness, that lack of self-control will bleed into every other area of our lives. See, my welfare and my well-being are not determined just by who I am in Christ, but also it's equally impacted by the people I choose to surround myself with. Solomon wrote this in the book of Proverbs, which I adore. I adore the book of Proverbs. It's nicknamed the sum of all wisdom. Like, you've got to be pretty self-confident that, like, that's your subtitle. You know what I mean? It's like Solomon, one of the wisest people who have ever walked the earth, he wrote a book called The Sum of All Wisdom, otherwise known as Proverbs. And in chapter 13, verse 20, he says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools suffer harm the companion of fools that means you don't have to be a fool you just have to be around them there's a reason why there's that old saying that if you show me your friends i'll show you your future because it's true so who's in your circle who are you friends with who are you in relationship with i don't have to actually be a fool myself i just have to surround myself with them and here's who I'm saying a fool is. I want to I clarify this a little bit. A fool is someone who just lacks wisdom in their decision-making. It is not an education piece. It is not an intelligence piece. It is a Holy Spirit alive inside of them discernment in making right choices throughout their life. That's wisdom. I know some of the wisest people I know are, some, are not the most educated people I know. And the flip side, I know some highly educated people who lack wisdom wise wisdom surrounding yourself with people of wisdom is surrounding yourself people with people who are helping you walk in integrity and purity and holiness and your relationship with christ is actually growing because of their proximity to you paul wrote it like this in 1 corinthians 15 says do not be deceived bad company ruins good morals There is no such thing as a neutral relationship. It's impossible. You will never have a neutral relationship. Every relationship you have will either be pointing you closer to Christ and pulling you closer to Jesus or further away from him. So because of that, we have to have this intelligence, this peace where we go, I'm going to intentionally decide and have some intent and intentionality about who I allow into my circle, my relational network, because it will help determine your destiny. See, it's probably not gonna be overt. When people enter in your life, it's probably not gonna be, hey, Emma, I'm gonna sidetrack your entire life, your entire walk with Jesus, I'm just letting you know that up front so that we're clear on what's gonna happen. And then she would go, oh, that sounds great to me. Yeah, let's, let's just derail my entire life. Most of the time, the life change is covert. It's incremental. It's just these tiny adjustments all along the path of your life. It's, they lack wisdom. They lack a passion for Jesus. And then all of a sudden, slowly, as you open your life up to them, you just, you're incrementally, Moving further and farther and further and farther. And then when you stop and you take an honest assessment, you go, how did I get here? How, how did my life, I, I was right there. How did I end up right here? It's probably because of the circle of f- friends that you chose to connect with and open your life to. Our relationships are a prophetic forecast that show us where we're going in life. You see, God has created us for relationships. He is cre- hardwired in our hearts, in our inner being for relationships. When you look at the, the picture of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, its eternally existing in perfect relationship in and among one another, it's just this incredible imagery. When you look at the creation story in Genesis, you see... Everything God creating is good. And then he pauses when Adam is alone and he says, that's not good. Then he creates Eve so Adam can have a relationship. It's not just about a marriage relationship. It's about having a person we can do life with, people that we are authentically and honestly and transparently in community with. There isn't a single aspect of your life that isn't impacted by your relationships. And with something so consequential to our destiny, why wouldn't we move with intent? Why would we be satisfied just to kind of float through life like it's a, a lazy river, you know what I mean? You're just floating around and you just the, the tires bump into whoever as you go. And why would we be content with that style of friendships and relationships in the kingdom of God? And all throughout scriptures, we see it. It's amazing. I love the Old Testament because you see every aspect of these people's lives. It is is not gloss over the weaknesses and the failure points. We see relational dynamics, good, bad, ugly, left, right. We see it all encapsulated through the scripture. In the Old Testament, we see David and Jonathan, an incredible example of godly friendship. We see David and Absalom. We see this father son relationship breaking down into unhealthy patterns. In the New Testament, you see Paul and Timothy. You see Paul, spiritual father, Timothy, spiritual son. He is writing these letters I'm sending Timothy to you because there's no one else like him to me. You see Paul and Barnabas starting out as, as friends, as co workers, as laborers, and all of a sudden there's a split, there's a division over another person, over John Mark, and it's like they're going their separate ways. We see all of these different dynamics relationally throughout the Bible. And as we learn to manage our relationships with intelligence and intentionality, I believe we'll be better Christ followers for it. And I think one of the things we have to move toward is not being satisfied with relationships that are just okay, or relationships that are just not bad as if not bad is the standard of a healthy relationship. It's, hey, oh, you know, it's not, it's not toxic, so it's okay. R- really? like that, Is that the standard for God's best in your life, not toxic? I believe God wants us to surround ourselves with people who are helping us follow Jesus with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. So if your circle isn't reflective of that, it's time to take an assessment and, wait a minute, what, what do we need to do? In Jim Collins' book, From Good to Great, which is it's an awesome business book, but I think this principle applies to our relationships in and, and every aspect. He says this, it's, it's not enough just to have the right people on the bus, but we need the right people in the right seats on the bus. See, we have to steward our relationships so well so that the people are sitting where we need them to sit, not just where they want to sit. People will wanna sit in a seat in your life. The question is, is that the right seat for them to sit in? And we have to be able to strategically say, okay, I'm gonna take an assessment, I'm gonna be aware, I'm gonna have relational intelligence to move this person from the seat that they want to the seat that they need to be in so that it's healthy in my life. True relational intelligence is the ability to identify and align our relationships to our God-given purposes. It's not about being selfish relationally. It's not about being one-sided, but it's stewarding your relationships well so that you can fulfill the call of God on your life. At the end of our lives, when we stand in front of Jesus, it's not going to be, hey, you did good, this person, it's not gonna be about anybody, anybody else. It's gonna be, well done, good and faithful servant. It's individualized. And just because someone is everyone is equally important and valuable to God does not mean they add equal value to your life. I'm gonna give you two brief examples. One is gonna be from the Old Testament on what I think is a a negative example of what not to do. And then I'm gonna show you a great example from the New Testament. So in 1 Kings chapter 11, we see a transitional point in the nation of Israel. We see the first king is of Israel, Saul. The second king is David. The third king is Solomon. David has transitioned to Solomon. And right now in 1 Kings chapter 11 and, verse, and chapter 12, we see the kingdom transitioning now to Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And it's this story I want you to look at. In verse one, Rehoboam went to Shechem for all of Israel had come there to make him king. And what happens is the, the leaders, I'm gonna paraphrase some of this for length, but the leaders came before him and said, hey, we're gonna make you king. But over the course of your father Solomon's life, we have built the, the greatest kingdom in the history of the world up to this point. We have amassed great wealth and land as a nation. So we want to take it easy. We want to we rest from our labors. We've been working diligently. We've been serving faithfully. It's time for us to ha- take a break. So Rehoboam's choice is how is he going to respond in this moment? So in 1 Kings 12, verse 5, he said to them, go away for three days and then come against me. So the people went away, and then the king Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer the people? And they said to him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. So he brings in the people who had served with Solomon. And then watch what he does as we keep going in the story in verse eight. First Kings 12, verse eight. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who he had grown up with him and stood before him. This is a mistake that I believe all of us can fall into. Just because a relationship was healthy in one season of your life does not mean that relationship will propel you into your next season of life with one decision we see the entire trajectory of the kingdom change Rehoboam the kingdom splits and for almost 400 years it is no longer one nation of Israel it is the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel they are divided for almost 400 years because of this one decision about who he was going to allow into his circle 400 years the kingdom didn't rejoin until 546 BC I mean this is a it all and it all comes back to one decision who will I allow into my life Rehoboam's character was not in question like think about that for a moment When you read through the Old Testament, when you read through 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, and it's telling the narrative story of the kings of Israel and Judah, the Bible will tell you very quickly who lacked morality and who did not. Rehoboam is not listed with Ahab. He's not listed with Jezebel. He's not listed with any of the kings who were wicked and caused the nation to sin. His folly was his circle. It wasn't his character. Think about how consequential our relationships are. You can be set up and destined for greatness. But your circle can derail it in a moment. Let me show you one more example. This one's out of the New Testament, which I believe Jesus is the best example of relational intentionality. There's no other person in all of scripture as I was praying about this and thinking through this, there's no better example than Jesus. And he shows us that you need to know who is in your circle, who is at your table. In Matthew 26, 20, we see it's the end of Jesus' ministry career. It's the Last Supper. It's this moment in his life, very, very larger-than-life moment as we look back on Scripture. And he's sitting around the table. They're they're breaking bread. They're doing communion. They're instituting the Lord's Supper. And he says, he looks at his disciples and says, one of you is going to betray me. And what's amazing is that they all start going, ooh. All of them are going, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Like the the, lack of self-awareness of the disciples in this moment like boggles my mind. So finally, Judas is the one who actually is like, I'm going to share bread with him. And Judas is like, is it me? And he's like, Yes. You didn't didn't know that? You know, it's this moment where Jesus is saying that he has this incredible insight into his circle and who's there. It's so intentional because not every person in your life is going to be perfect. In fact, none of them are. It's not about them being perfect. It's about us knowing who they are and making sure they're in the right place. Matthew 15 is the story when Jesus talks about the um, knowing people by their fruit. It's not that inherently one is good and one is bad. It's like, again, we want to like, have this like, scaled where this is terribly bad and this is clearly good, where there's so much of your relational network is going to be navigating gray areas, and you're going to have to lean into the Holy Spirit, pray, and say, okay, how is this person actually affecting my life? When Jesus says you're going to know them by your fruits, by their fruit, it's saying, if I'm allergic to oranges, I need to be able to look at two trees and go, that is an apple tree and is healthy for me. That is an orange tree and that is unhealthy for me. It's not that this is bad and that's good. One will make me sick and the other won't. It's relational intelligence. We can't have this this assumption that all of the disciples were perfect because in fact, none of them were. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Because Jesus had to manage these guys just like we have to manage our relationships. We have Thomas, we have the supporting skeptic. He's prone to drama. He's like, All right, I'm with you. Well, actually, I'm with you if I can see the holes in your hand and the, the, this wound in your side. Then I'm really with you. Or earlier in the Gospels, you know, Jesus' is like, Hey, we're going to go to Jerusalem. Let's go. He's like, All right, I'm with you. Come on, guys. Let's go die together. You know, it's like this, like, Come on, let's tone down the drama. Like, I understand you're skeptical, but let's let's move on. Yeah, James and John, these are the hyper competitive people. They, everything is a competition. It's hysterical when you read the Gospel of John. If you look through it, he's always telling you how he ran faster than everybody else. But he's like the disciple Jesus loved arrived first. You know, it's like he's he's still competing. It was so bad at one point their mom came to Jesus and said, hey, can we just, can we make this a tie? Can one of them sit on your right hand and one of them sit on your left? It's just like everything is a competition. You have Nathaniel, he is like this blunt buddy who is just way too forthright, candid, a little too honest in all situations. You're like, I need, like, there is truth, but can you add a little grace to that? You know what I mean? Like there's this, don't be so honest all of the time. Just be honest, but kind. You know, it's that moment. You have Peter, he's the temperamental team member. You love him, but he terrifies you. You're like, when you go into a meeting, he's the guy you're like pulling off to the side, like, hey, we're gonna go in here. Like, I I just need you to not talk for 30 minutes. Everything will be okay. I love you, you're my friend, just don't talk. Just smile, shake your head, nod, engage, no words. You know what I mean? It's your friend that you were like, came over to your house and was about to meet your parents for the first time. And you're just like, just, just, just say yes, sir, or, no, ma'am. It doesn't matter what the question is. Are you gonna call it yes, sir? You know, it's just whatever, whatever question is, just say yes or no. Please do not engage in dialogue. Just this is your window, stay right there. You know? Then you got Judas, who's the blind betrayal. He doesn't even see the selfishness that he's operating with. He had the same question at that table that every other disciple did. Is it me? And Jesus finally had to be like, yeah, it is you, so go. You know what I mean? It's like this that moment, and it's, we have to be able to see people in the same way that Jesus saw them. He didn't see them glossed over, perfect images of who they were projecting to be or who they were trying to be. He saw them as they actually are. Jesus had self-awareness, which led to relational awareness, and here are three things that I believe Jesus did that we can apply to our lives. Number one, open your eyes. You see, we see fruit with our natural eyes and our spiritual eyes. My Angelo said it like this, when someone shows you themselves, believe them. Actually, just look at the fruit of that person's life and say, where, where do they fit? Man, is, do they have a life of godliness? Purity and and just pursuit of God and a vibrant relationship with him? What is the fruit of their life? Have they loved their spouse for decades? Have they served faithfully? Have they raised children? What is, actually look at their life and say, what is the fruit of their life? Not do they dress right? Do they speak right? Do Do they listen to the right music or have the right peripheral things about them? No, 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 no. Look at the actual fruit of their life. Open your eyes. Number two, open your heart. Pay attention to what you feel. I love Lisa Turker. She said this, our feelings are indicators, just not dictators. Open your heart. How how does this person actually make you feel? Can Can you actually communicate how that person is making you feel? The Holy Spirit alive inside of you, bringing forth discernment Where are they at? What's going going on in my heart when I'm around them? When I spend time with this person, do do I catch myself getting bitter and angry at trivial, minute things that aren't healthy and aren't good for me? What's going on in your heart after you spend time with somebody? Number three, open your ears. Pay attention to what you hear. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, invariably People's mouths will betray the condition of their hearts every time. Sometimes I think we want to assume the best out of people, which is in a lot of ways is good. But when we're talking about the people we're going to do life with, when we talk about the people that we're going to allow to influence our lives and we're going to deeply influence theirs, it is paramount to make sure that we know what we're getting into in each scenario, in each situation there is nothing more derailing than a bad friendship. Your God-given destiny is determined by the everyday decisions that you make. Who you give space to in your circle is of utmost value. It's one of the most, it's one of the most valuable things that you have to give away is your time and your relational equity. So who are we giving it to? Are they adding value so that you can accomplish those things that God has called you to? Or are they subtracting and every time you're around them, you just walk away going, man, I feel tired. I feel drained. How much much space in your circle are you giving them? Michelangelo, the great artist said this, is the greatest danger for most of us is not that our aim is too high and we miss it, but that it's too low and we reach it my hope is today that we won't be people who settle for relationships but we develop relationships intentionally to help us walk with jesus that we look and say that we're humble enough to go what am i missing in my life what aspects where do i where do i need to grow and develop relationships that bolster those areas of your life intentionally one of the greatest decisions i ever made is a I had just gotten married, I was 25 years old and I sat across a, a table from someone eating, uh, drinking coffee and eating pumpkin pie and just, I just asked this person who had been married for 40 years at the time and I just asked them questions about how do, you, how, how do you be a great husband? I've watched your marriage from afar and I just wanna ask you questions. How do you do this? What do you do? How do what's this? What's, you know what I mean? Just, just peppering him. I came with a list of about 12 questions. I got through four of them because he was just dialoguing about how to, how to show... Love and appreciation to, to his wife, and he's he's crying talking about how much he loves her, and it's this beautiful moment, and it was I was like, this is who I want to be like when I'm his age. I want I want my marriage like this. Or a coworker, and you're like, man, I want to I want to be a great employee. As Christians, we should be great employees, and so I wanna I wanna figure out someone who thrives in the workplace. And I'm gonna I'm gonna, hey, can we can we get coffee? Hey, how do you do that? How do you honor God, maintain high integrity, but thrive in this environment? How do you do that? What's that like? Tell me how, as a, as a young person, I can get better at this. Maybe it's a parent that you adore. Maybe it's like, you look at them and you look at the fruit of their lives and you're like, man, you've got incredible kids. You've got incredible teenagers, young adults. How can I, and you've got little ones. Maybe you don't even have kids. Man, how, how, I wanna have kids one day. How do you, how do, you do this great? every aspect of your life, just break it down and say, "What? Are, I'm humble enough to ask the question, what am I missing? And I'm going to intentionally lean in to, to relationships, to people, so that I can grow in my walk with Christ. And maybe today, some of us, are, we're here, we're, we're in the room, we're online, and we're saying, man, I, I want great relationships, I want healthy relationships, and I want to tell you today that the first relationship that will set you on that trajectory, that set you on that course of having incredible friendships throughout your life is your relationship with Jesus. When we talk about the right people having the right seat on the bus, Jesus shouldn't be in the front seat. He should be in the driver's seat of your life that everything else in your life is predicated and seen through the lens of, what does Jesus say about this? What does the Holy Spirit say? What does his word say about this? I'm allowing him to take first place and preeminence in my life, and everything else will be built around that. Just right where you're at today, we're just gonna take a moment. I would like you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I don't wanna ask you the question today, Have you stepped into a relationship with Jesus? Maybe the answer is no. Well, the Bible says that Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Maybe you're watching online at home by yourself and you say, I'm lonely and I'm desperate and I need a relationship with Jesus. So wherever you're at, if if you say, yes, I want to begin this relationship, I need to, I need to begin a relationship with Jesus or to be f- fully transparent and honest, I've, I've had a relationship with Jesus, but he's really, he is so trivial and just at the back seat of my bus that it's not even pre- he's not really even present and I want to reestablish that relationship. If that's you, I just, right where you're at, I just want you to raise your hand. I believe full, firmly that, that the relationship with Jesus is the greatest relationship you will ever have in this life. Even online, there's a place in the chats where you can, you can digitally even raise your hand. Amen. Man, I wanna take a moment, we're gonna pray this together. And this is, I wanna encourage you, if you raise your hand today, that this is the starting line. For the rest of eternity, you're going to be in a relationship with Jesus. And this is you crossing the line of faith and starting this incredible relationship with your Savior. The same one that Katie was singing about earlier. So, Jesus, thank you for life change. God, if as we raised our hands and we said yes to establishing a relationship with you, we give you our heart. We say, you're in the driver's seat now. My life is yours. I'm going to follow you all of my life. You are first place. You are most important. I love you and I worship you. And I give you control from here on out for the rest of my life. And Jesus, I pray for my friends today. God I pray for each and every single one of us, God that, there, that we would have a holy intentionality when it comes to building friends and building friendships in our relationships, God. God that we would be we would be strategic in advancing the gospel through relationships. God, that we would see and love people, God, but as far as our our circle of friends goes, the ones that are having influence on our lives, God, God, that we would be strategic. We would be intentional, God. We would look and say, how can I add value to this person and how can they add value to me? God, I pray that Radiant Church would be a, a church filled with godly relationships and godly community, God, that our lives would be transformed in the place of community. In Jesus' name. Amen.